For the first time this season, the Rangers came back from a third period deficit on Monday, taking down the Blues 6-4 to four in a game they had to have. Six goals, six different players, and for the first time this season, it was Miller time. Keandre Miller scoring his first goal of the year. Coach Gallant also making a few lineup changes that Larry Brooks will dissect. Where do the Rangers stand going into a critical stretch here against Vegas, Colorado, and the Devils in the next week? Larry and I will be joined by friend of the program, lifelong Rangers fan, and she's hosted more sports centers on ESPN than anyone ever. It's Linda Cohn joining the program. It's a busy edition of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post, and it's coming up next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside guest co-host for the week. You hear him almost every week here on the show. It's the great Larry Brooks. Follow him on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. And we will be joined later in the program in just a few minutes by a huge Ranger fan and friend of the program. ESPN Zone, Linda Cohn will join us. Larry, it's nice to uh, not blow, you know, a third uh, period lead and actually come back from a deficit on Monday night against the Blues in a game. It feels like every week we're like, all right, this is a must win game. This is a must win game. Felt like a must win game before things spiraled out of control in a, a game where we saw six different players score a goal for the Rangers. It was as must win as you can get the first week of December. Listen, you can't lose back-to-back nights at home to Ottawa and Chicago, but you certainly can't lose three and four nights when the third one is St. Louis. You know, a Blues team playing as poorly as anybody in the league. And and this is probably not the time to dissect a victory because the two points were essential and you just move on. But they didn't play well you know, Monday night either. And for me, that's the problem. It's not simply that they've only won 12 games. It's not that, you know, they're right now a couple of points out of the playoffs. It's that they really haven't established anything at all through almost a third of the season now, 27 games, essentially a third of the season. Um, and they just haven't established anything. They 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 don't play well. Um, they're not authoritative, not sure what they are. That's more concerning than the record or the standings is that at some point that, you know, you need to, to stake a claim. Who are you? How are you going to play? How, you know, what's your strength? And right now, you know, the, the strengths, we anticipated coming in, goaltending, power play, haven't been strengths. Go back to the narratives leading into the into the season. What were the Rangers going to need? They're going to need Shesterkin to replicate last season. Hasn't happened. 
They're going to need the kids to step up and fill those top six holes that were left by uh, Vetrano and Cop. Hasn't happened. They're going to need Trocheck to be able to replicate some of, some of the dynamic with Panarin that Strom had had. Hasn't happened. So you know they're 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 flailing. You know they're they're trying to find who they are. They're trying to find their game, and it's taken a long time. Now, time is not up. You know, there's there's no question. Time is not up. Two thirds of the season lays ahead. But the first the next four games are against Vegas, Colorado, New Jersey and Toronto. They are going to have to elevate their play to a point where they haven't been at all this year, you know, more than a game or so. So they have a lot of work to do. But this was a major sigh of relief coming out of Monday night's game. Uh, Another loss on Monday would have would have been, I think, debilitating. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about this team going to Vegas, going to Colorado, and the Devils coming here on Monday as a couple of the best teams in hockey and the defending Stanley Cup champions as well. You had a a funny Twitter exchange yesterday (laughs) that I want to react to because maybe, you know, maybe we need more of this from you and maybe you'll get the Rangers going. You said third offensive zone penalty in the last six games for Lafreniere, but by all means, let's bump him up to play with Zibanejad. And then quickly he scores and he said, so I look at this as kind of a math exam where you don't give the right answer, but have to show the work that leads up to it. Turns out to be the right move, but I'm not convinced for the right reason, regardless, critical victory. And of course, 1393-24 should get a long look. I think Gerard Gallant has been somewhat passive through the last week and I and it kind of surprised me. I don't think of him as an especially passive personality. You know, Lafreniere took a very damaging penalty against Edmonton in the third period in the offensive zone. He took a damaging penalty in the third period the next game against the Devils um, in the offensive zone. And then last night, I, I just thought to myself, and I, and I don't particularly think Lafreniere's been playing well. So I thought, you know, this is the time to sit him. And instead, he was rewarded with a promotion. Now, listen, getting Lafreniere up with Zibanejad has has been something I think that that Gallant should have looked at for a while. And and moving Kako up on the right side, you know, twinning them up with him, you know, something they could have looked at for a while now. But I just thought this was kind of, you know, it was incongruous to do it at that point. Well, of course, they're, you know, on their first couple of you know, they 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 make the move uh, late in the second period. And then the third, they score on their first two shifts. Lafreniere getting, getting, you know, getting one on a tip. It was the game winner, actually. So it was the right move, but I'm not sure for the wrong reason, you know, for the right reason. But what was funny was I don't usually do a lot of in-game tweeting. And I, I just don't. I'm not a person who, who you know, responds to, you know, a lot of stuff. But I thought, you know, this is just something I... I you know, it's it's more of a concept than a play. So I'll just throw that out there. And I'm not a big person for monitoring, you know, retweets and likes. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure what a ratio is. I know it's bad, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, I had someone explain it to me once and I forgot the definition, but, you know, that's okay. But I, I you know, I noticed that there were, you know, a, a lot, lot of responses to to the uh, tweet and so i and someone actually texted me and said hey you should, you should probably take a look at this and i went and and you know after the goals were scored i was of course being you know belittled ridiculed but the funny part about it was that at the start it was getting this tweet was getting multiple likes which i assumed that meant that people were agreeing with me you know but by the you know it's kind of like you know 
you know, maybe the, you know, the early, the early balloting was going in my favor, but, you know, when the polls opened, you know, uh, you know it went against me, but um, hey, listen, that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that people are engaged. I'm glad for the Rangers that it worked out. I, I think now it's important that the line be allowed to breathe and go through, you know, and, and play together for a while and not get yanked apart if it doesn't look good in the first you know, first game or two. The one, the one point I'll make though, and I and I make this in in a column I, I I've written for tomorrow for Wednesday's paper, is that the imbalance of ice time will not be addressed by playing Kako and Lafreniere five on five with Savanagia. The imbalance of ice time, the comparatively small ice time that Lafreniere and and Kako get, don't have anything to do with five on five. They actually each have more five on five ice time than Zabanaja and Kreider. The where the, the ice time issue comes into play on specialty teams because the first power play unit chews up almost all of the power play time, and neither Lafreniere nor Kako are on penalty kill. So you know, they're going to get a you know, listen. They're going to be put into I think a better position playing with Zabanaja at five on five. I think that can only enhance their their games. I think it can only enhance their growth. But you're still going to run into the same situation where they may be sitting for minutes and minutes at a time if the allotment of time on the power play and penalty kill continues. If that first unit continues to be out there for a minute 35, a minute 40, a power play, it doesn't matter. If neither gets onto the penalty kill, you know, it really doesn't matter. So if the object, and I'm not quite sure it is, if the object is to give Lafreniere and Kako more ice time, then the first power play unit either has to be changed, the personnel needs to change to include one of those two, or there needs to be a more even split between the first and second units. You said ratio. I've seen worse ratios on Twitter. Yours had 43 quote tweets, 12 retweets. A true ratio is like when you have three retweets and like 347 quote tweets. That's when you truly get ratioed. So yours isn't in the Hall of Fame. There's some Hall of Famers out there. The, the Hall of Famers are zero retweets and like 4,000 quote tweets. That's when someone said something so wrong that they should probably delete their account. So you, you didn't hit that mark. So you're in good hands. How about Keandre Miller, though? First goal of the year. The guy's restricted free agent. He's talked with Molly about, yeah, he's want to score some more points. He wants to put it in the back of the net. I feel like that's a sigh of relief finally for this guy to put one in the back of the net. And now the psyche hopefully uh, improves from there. Yeah, I, I, I think so. If that's been uh, if that's been weighing on him and that's certainly the uh, the takeaway from his conversation with Molly, then then this should prove beneficial for him. I, you know, the, the last thing you want is for any player to obsess over points, to obsess over goals and certainly for a defenseman. And certainly for a young player, and certainly for a young defenseman, and certainly for a young defenseman who's on a contract here. Keandre Miller has so many gifts, and he has worked so hard to get to the point where he was entering the season, seemingly on the precipice of, or you know, you know, springboard to considerable success in what is still only his third year in the NHL, his third year as a pro, and what his sixth or seventh year as a defenseman. You know, he converted from forward at, at what, the age of 16, I think. And so, you know, you just don't want Keandre to, you know, to, you know, to obsess over, I have to get this many goals. I have to get this many points because the way he plays, the if he's playing well, points will come. If he's playing well, he'll score. 
You know, it's it's kind of like you don't put the result before the process. You don't put the point totals before before you know before the process of playing. So I also think that um, you know the Miller Truba pair that was so good the second of half of last year has been impacted by Truba's injury. Has been impacted by Jacob not playing nearly as well as he did last year. So I, I think they're both struggling. I think it was a smart move to separate them for what was it, two or three games, I think. And I think it's 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 the right move to get them back together because the Rangers aren't going anywhere if their top four isn't Lindgren Fox, Miller Truba. You know, it's just not going to work. You know, yeah. But I think it was a, a I think it was a smart move to split. Truba and Miller up for a handful of games to to you know kind of let them catch their breath a little bit, change the look a little bit, and I think maybe now that Keandre has the first one, it'll be a little bit more organic for him. He will uh, settle down and be a little bit more reliable on both sides of the puck. The Rangers are doing all they can to make some change because right now they're on the outside looking in, and we'll learn a lot about this team this next week. Vegas, Colorado Devils before the next episode of Up in the Blue Seats comes next week. But coming up next on the show is a friend of the program, lifelong Ranger fan and ESPN legend Linda Cohn will join me and Larry next. I like the line combination I got this morning from the media, so it was all good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joining Larry Brooks and I now and up in the blue seats is a friend of the program and a friend of the Rangers. She is a rabid New York Rangers fan, a New Yorker, of course, fan of all New York teams, including our New York Mets, who just signed Justin Verlander. You've seen her on your TV screen on ESPN for the past three decades, 30 years hosting SportsCenter, where I'm pretty sure she has hosted more sports centers than anyone ever in the history of mankind in the Guinness Book of World Record for hosting Sports Center. You can catch her on ESPN as well doing an NHL game. She's an on ice reporter. And of course, you can watch her on In the Crease on ESPN Plus. Let's welcome in Linda Cohen. Linda, welcome to the show. Uh, always great to be with you guys. Larry, how are you? Good to see you. 3,000 miles away, of course, five years ago almost. I moved to Los Angeles, but yeah, I still love the Rangers, still follow them religiously, and of course, still follow the uh, the entire NHL and everything else. And I don't love all New York teams. Remember that, Jake. Just because I was Yankees, born in Manhattan, yeah. raised on Long Island, it does not mean I love and root for all New York teams. Let's Let's be clear. New York sports fans, I frown upon New York sports fans who root for every team in New York. <laughs> Unheard of. Yeah, well, I'm Jets. I I root for the Giants to do well. I hate the Yankees, Mets, and I'm Knicks. And like, if the Nets do well, that's fine. I'm not a Nets hater, so right. I'm I'm with you there. Uh, do you have a tally of like? I know you have the most Sports Center ever. Like, do you have like a long board? Is it like at four thousand? <laughs> What's the number at? Do you have a range? You know? I don't know. I don't know. I just know back in whenever it was when they had that. I did the. I think it was twenty sixteen when uh, the powers to be figured out. I hosted more Sports Centers than any man or woman at ESPN, and that was really cool. They had some uh, some famous sports celebrities. 
celebrities on that I love, including at that time. It was all a surprise. Like David Tyree came on the show. It was all like, hey, let's celebrate Linda and or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then uh, Zach Wheeler, who was a meth that he came on the show and Mark Messier, of course, he was on the show. It was really a fun time. My kids surprised me. Um, it was really very cool. So I think, uh, you know, I bet you others are catching up a bit now, but who knows who keeps the tally going, Jake? I don't know. We take every day at this point of our careers and lives day by day. We're just happy we're still doing it. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) I think the last time I saw you was at the hotel bar in Stockholm when the Rangers were there 10 years ago. Oh my God. I'm Uh, sure our, uh, that's crazy, Larry. I think it might be. I don't know. Honestly, I think it might be. I, I, I remember that. That was an amazing trip. That was, uh, wow, that was 10 years. Yeah, this is the only time I've ever been to Sweden or Stockholm. I only yeah, went because too. the Rangers were playing two games there. And I, one of my friends, Fran Rotella, who worked for ESPN at the time, she's a Ranger fan. Like, I'm, we were just like one, you know, we were there like late at night waiting to do the late sports center. She was a coordinating producer. And we were talking about it. And then she started like going on kayak and seeing how much it costs to fly the round trip to Sweden. And she's like, Linda, you're not going to believe this. It's only like $640 round trip. I go, we got to go. And that was how it is. And five days we stayed there and we saw two Ranger games. And I think Derek Stepan, who was a Ranger at the time, was so shocked when I was walking into the hotel as they were getting off the bus. Larry, like, Linda, what are you doing here? I mean, I went there as a fan. You went there to work, Larry. Yeah, it was a good trip. It it was a fun trip. The Rangers have been fortunate to have a string of franchise goaltenders. Yeah. It looks like they've got another one now. So yeah. who are you? Are you are you a Mike Richter person or are you a Henrik Lundqvist person? Well, you know, I'm dating myself, but thanks to my dad, who that's how I became a Rangers fan, even though I grew up on Long Island. You know, it was the Rangers at the time when I was you know younger that they were in the playoffs and the Islanders weren't. That was in the early stages of the Islanders' existence when they weren't before the four straight Stanley Cups, of course. So I became a Ranger fan. And at that time, and I'm dating myself and I don't care, I, I love Eddie Jockerman. I mean, I, you know what? I was going to he's my I, guy. I was going to ask you if you were a, a Jockerman, but I, I, I wasn't sure if you came just a little bit after that. Yeah, he was the reason why I fell in love with the Rangers and being a goaltender, and which is that's what I became because of Eddie. You know, we all know, of course, the story and the awful exit, how the Rangers sold him for 30,000 bucks and he came back in a Detroit uniform the next day. I mean, sports was so weird back then, right, Larry? I mean, it was before Jake's time, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then the, the whole MSG was chanting Eddie's name and rooting for the Red Wings, as was I from my living room couch with my dad. Um, back in 1975. But what reason why I loved Eddie Jockerman, it was that awful series, that playoff series against the Islanders that started the whole Islander run of being, oh my God, they're respectable. When they beat the Rangers, as we all know, in the opening round when it was best of three, and they beat the Rangers, Steve Vickers and company, you know, letting it all happen. But while they were about to lose, for some reason, um, Gilles Villemure started the third and decisive game and he stunk. And I, I'd never liked Villemure. He was boring a goalie. He just stood there. And so Eddie Jockerman came, comes in for him and he starts a fight with Gary Howitt. I don't know if you remember this. These yeah. are, I forget plenty of stuff. I remember this. He started a fight to get his team going. Wake up. They were down like three nothing and it worked and they tied up the game only to lose, of course, in overtime. Um, you know, JP Parisi, 11 Parisi. seconds in and the rest is history. 
But this is how I fell in love with Eddie Jockerman. He was just an exciting goalie. He really cared. And so we all love Mike Richter. I mean, who doesn't love Mike Richter? He got a Stanley Cup in our lifetime. It's amazing. And it, if it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have won it. And then, of course, the king, greatness. And I do think we have another one in Igor, but it's a small sample size. We got to see how this plays out. He's taking a step back this year a little bit, but he's got the greatest goalie coach in the world in Benoit Allaire, but it's Eddie Jockerman who got me into hockey, and it was Eddie Jockerman who made me want to be a goaltender. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Now, now, of course, I was in, in 419 when Eddie came back. I was in 419 for all of those games during those those years. People either don't remember or, or don't know how beloved Jockerman was as a player. You know, this was a team with Gilbert, Rattel, later on, Hadfield, yeah. Kachuk, Park. I mean, we, we know them all. But it, it was Jockerman who was the face of that franchise. He was he was so popular, honestly. I mean, the, the, he was as popular as Lundquist is now. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no question about it. And he was the guy who, who kind of was the personification of the Rangers becoming a big-time team in the NHL because – when when Emil traded for him, they were you know they were in the mid sixties. They were missing the playoffs every year. They and the Bruins were fighting for fifth place every year. And Jockerman's first year in New York was a disaster. He was booed off. He was booed off the ice. People were throwing garbage at him at the old Garden, um, and I mean the old Garden, one right. you know, between 49th and fiftieth, on between seventh and eighth. Caesar Maniago actually replaced him as the number one oh. goalie for the second half of that first season. But Emil believed in him. He saw he saw what Jockman had. He brought him back. And 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 once Eddie became the number one goalie, he became an all-star, first team all-star. He he was the defining ranger of that era. And again, that's with Hall of Famer Gilbert Rattel Park on that team. So it, it's interesting because Richter came and won the cup. Lundquist did it for 15 years. The Jockerman has receded in history, but he's a monumental figure in Ranger history. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think he had gray hair when he was 25 years old. Right? <laughs> I mean, he was like the first silver fox. But yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And I and then, you know, later, obviously, when I started covering the Rangers and being around the team a little bit more and as was he doing stuff for the team. I got to tell him how much he meant to me and what an impact he made for me. And, it, you know, of course, he lit up. He's such a great human, so genuine. And he got a kick out of that. He couldn't believe it. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, true story. He's my all time favorite. Do you find that working for ESPN, being identified with one team as a fan is, is you know, is enhances you as, as an on-air figure or, or is that something you need? You don't want to advertise too much. You, you just want to play it down the middle of the road or do you think your passion, you know, informs what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I always wanted people to know. Uh, because I feel my success at SportsCenter and ESPN and why I lasted so long. One of the reasons is because I'm always a fan first. And guess who's watching SportsCenter over the years and the decades? Yeah. Fans, sports fans. And that's how I always felt I was able to connect with them, uh, even when there weren't a lot of women in this field, because that was my way of saying, listen, I'm one of you. I get it. And, that, and so I slowly let it out. And, you know, ESPN and the powers to be there finally like woke up and realized, oh, wow, it's a good idea to show off your personality. Oh, really? Great. Thanks. Um, so then, you know, more and more of us were letting that out. And it became it, and, and so many times like my colleagues 
would make mention, would do a Ranger highlight and I wouldn't even be on the show and they would mention my name. And I didn't mind that. And so it's good. Now, the funny part is a lot of the Rangers through the years and the different managements, Larry, and you've been through it all, of course, over the years, you know, I don't know if they realize half the time what a big Ranger fan I was or, you know, how the Rangers even were always mentioned on SportsCenter when I was on, even when they weren't playing, it was kind of funny. So I welcome that. I embrace that because that was the one way that I connected um, to the viewers, Larry, is them knowing that I'm a fan. And that goes for the Giants and the Mets you know, and the Knicks. Um, but, um, and I don't hate on the Jets. I was rooting for them. You know, I've been rooting for them. I, they're not hateable. They're really, they're up and coming. Uh, so I don't mind that at all, Lair. And I think it's good that people see us the way we really are. And sports fans can pick out a phony and they know that that's what I am not. Right. Did you ever think of like a catchphrase to develop? You know, the late Stuart Scott has his catchphrases. Did you ever have one or think about having one over these years? Well, the funny part is I kind of make a joke of it because, um, you know, back in 08, I wrote this funny look at my journey uh, called a book. It was a book called Conehead, a no holds barred account of breaking into the boys club. And it was just a funny look at my life and how I got to where I was made fun of myself throughout the book. And um, and so that one chapter was about when I uh, thought of like, oh, maybe I should figure out this catchphrase, because I always thought, you know, again, one of the reasons why I was connecting to fans is just being myself. Like I, I didn't have a, oh, insert catchphrase here type of thing. When I did a highlight, I was just reacting to the highlight. You know, what, what a player is doing, what a coach's body language says. And then I would make a comment. It would be all organic. And I kind of like, eh, you know, that's not for me to have something that I have to say every show. But then I felt, eh, why not? So funny story. You know, I was playing a, a, a celebrity softball game in North Carolina. And one of my friends was telling me about her softball team um, at, at where she lived. And, they, and the name of her team was called Master Batters. And I'm like, master batter. She goes, get it? We're the master batters, right? And I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then I go, so then on a, on a sports center one day, you know, I, I think it was way back when, it was probably 15 years ago, you know, Mike Piazza, still with the Mets, you know, was up and, you know, I said, I'm going to use that when a guy hits a home run. I'll say, <laughs> you know, Mike Piazza, master batter, you know, and boom. And everyone got a big you know, chuckle out of it. Next thing I know, the next day, one of my bosses calls me into his office and it was like, <laughs> gave me that look at, of kind of laughing. He's like, uh, what are you doing, Linda? Uh, whatever you're saying or doing, please don't do that ever again. And so I didn't do it ever again. So, you know, uh, I get it. I, I, I applaud those who have catchphrases, but it was never, ever, really ever for me. But I, you know, I just, I kind of got sucked into it for a little bit. You interviewed Jacob Truba, who on your your yeah. former podcast is now the Ranger captain. Yeah, love uh, it. He's been throwing some punches lately. He's not afraid to uh, use well, his hands. You know, you got to wake up it? the team. You yeah. know, I, you know, decades ago, Eddie Jockerman did it. No, uh, I love Jacob Truba. Maybe I'm a little biased. Um, I just think, you know, I'm not even in the room, but I know what a leader he is. Uh, I know what 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 the game means to him. Larry can speak to that. He spoke to it millions of times. Uh, all he does is want to win. All he wants to do is lead, uh, and he leads by example. And I love it. I mean, he's got a little of that Tom Brady in him where he lets it out, and that's how he lets it out. He's a hockey player, so he drops his gloves. I don't want him to fight every night. Or every game that doesn't, you know, because here's the thing I worry about. And it was, you know, listen, they beat St. Louis, who was awful, um, but a win's a win. 
But before that game, I was like, here's the thing about Jacob Truba. If it's not resonating with the, his teammates that he's dropping the gloves and fighting to get them going and they're not going and it's not translating into wins, then maybe it's like a coach whose message isn't resonating with his players. And that was beginning to worry me, right? Because Jacob Truba would drop the gloves and it would still be a loss at the end of the night. And so I was like, hmm, maybe there's a plan B here. So I'm glad they beat St. Louis. Baby steps, obviously a mix up of lines, you know, shaking up the lines. Good job by the head coach. Um, I never panic with this team, but uh, Ranger fans shouldn't panic. I know a lot of us wanted Chris Kreider, thought he would be the perfect captain. But, you know, there was a reason. I don't know what it is, but I'm all in always for Jacob Truba. You know, it's it's interesting having covered this team through um, the pandemic where yeah. for two solid years, you there was no uh, personal interaction between reporters and the players, um, at least the print reporters and the yeah. players. Truba's first year he came, and and that was, you know, the year Tough. leading into the pandemic. So yeah. I got, you know, you got to know him a little bit, but he was not comfortable no. in New York at all his first year. And he talked about how he, um, it was a very, very difficult adjustment for him Yeah, um, from Winnipeg to New York, from the only organization for which he'd played to another one from one system to another, from one defense partner to another. And he, and he talked about that. So it was, it was kind of hard to get a read on him as a guy, but mm. my impression of him, he was kind of a goofy guy off the ice. You know, he, you know, he, you know, if you spoke to him, you, you wouldn't necessarily think this was a professional athlete. Yeah. You know, certainly well, a lot not, of those, and not yeah. a hockey player who was going to drop his gloves. Yeah. You know, he, he just has a, a very different personality. He's got like an Ed Sheeran look to him, you know? Yeah. You look at yeah, Ed Sheeran, so, you're like, I can't believe he writes and sings these romantic songs. <laughs> no, right. So, you know, so you go through then two years with just talking on Zoom and, and talking in formal press conferences. And then, you know, this year I get back in and he's so much more comfortable, at least dealing with the media in New York. Yeah. And he's open and he's welcoming and... You know, he's, I think, as candid as generally, you know, a player can be. But I remember, you know, because, again, I had, I had described him as as kind of a goofy guy. And I was asking him early in the season about Braden Schneider. And he said, well, yeah, he kind of reminds him that Schneider kind of reminded him of himself when he was young. He said, you know, this goofy guy. <laughs> I thought, yeah, <laughs> that's it. This goofy guy. Use your words. That's funny. But, oh, that's um, funny. That's yeah. funny. It, I, like, I, I like Jacob as a guy a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got the same when I interviewed him last year, same kind of thing when he was on the podcast talking about he was very open. He says, like, my wife and I, we were we didn't go out. We were, you know, again, COVID issues, but we didn't have a chance to get acclimated or custom or find out yeah. even if we really liked New York. Um, so it took him a while. And then he was so happy when finally everything was lifted and, the, and he and his wife were going to restaurants and going to shows and doing all the fun things. And that was really, that that transformed him finally. Uh, that was a big part of it. But listen, not many people can make an adjustment to come to New York, period, let alone come from Winnipeg right. to New York. Right. So I always love that the whole story with Jacob Truba that, you know, his wife, since his wife's a doctor and all this, and he made the move for his wife, and I was like, oh, my God, what a prince. 
That's a hell of a line. Wow. Linda, you seem to be in the minority of the non-panicking Ranger fans right now because everyone's ready to jump off the Empire State Building. You know, Igor hasn't been the same player. We didn't expect him to be as good as he was last year. But it's been a rocky ride so far, some third period uh, blown leads. Why aren't you panicking yet? I know most Ranger fans panic. Most uh, listen, it's New York. Most Met fans panic. You name Met fans, forget panic. They're already doom and gloom from the from the get go. But our Ranger fans, just hold on, man. It's not even Christmas yet. They're on the outside looking in of a playoff spot. Yeah, I get that. Okay, is Igor Shosturkin going to get any worse? No, he's not. He's going to get any better. Should he stop letting up two bad goals a game? Yeah, he probably should. But he will. He's got the best goalie coach in the world in Benoit Allaire. They will fix it. Remember how Ranger fans were panicking against the Pittsburgh Penguins? And how Igor Shosturkin wasn't looking good in the playoffs? Remember all that? Oh, and what happened? Oh, everything turned out fine, didn't it? He's got. It's going to be fine. Am I not saying that the Eastern Conference isn't going to be competitive and is and other teams that we didn't expect to be good are good? You know, I guess the Detroit's, the Buffalo's, teams like that, you know, that are, you know, whoa, you know, like kind of thing. And and there's always a Penguins and all these other teams. We all know who they are, Um, but it's not the month of March. I'm not panicking yet. It's not Christmas yet. Ranger fans, don't worry about there's too much talent there. Do they have to figure out how to score more five and five? Yes. Am I not shocked? I'm not shocked that Capo Caco isn't a difference maker. I thought he was a goner in the offseason, honestly. I'm just not a huge fan of his talents. You know, Philip Heedle uh, won me over a little bit in the postseason, but he gets hurt a lot. Uh, I love Alexei Lafreniere. Love, love, love what he brings. You know, love all his game. He's got a lot in that toolbox. But the other guys don't. Uh, Heedle and Caco, I'm not just, you know, I'm still like, meh. So there's not a lot of depth there. I love the signing of Vinny Trocek. He was always been one of my favorites. Yeah, the term was a little long, but we're not paying it. But he's contributing. He's having a great year. Nobody panic. When you expect Kreider to score 52 again, it's not going to happen. But uh, Mika's doing his thing. And Panarin has multi-point games every game. So uh, it's going to be fine. It'll be fine. Halak, I thought, would be better. At least the last couple of outings, he's looked like the Yara Halak that used to frustrate Ranger fans. So hopefully he'll get a little better. But if I'm talking about the backup goalie, you know, forget <laughs> It's like, who cares? It's about Igor. So everything went right last year. So we just got to kind of take a breath and see how this plays out. But it's December, not March. Who would you say you've done your most memorable hockey interview with? Oh, God. I really enjoyed talking with Austin Matthews. He gave me a lot of alone time. It was great. I mean, he's just so real and down to earth and and such a just a cool dude. Uh, my goal when I sat down with Connor McDavid was to make him laugh. I did make him smile during an interview uh, when I brought up uh, his buddy Leo, Leon Dreisaitl, and I, I said something uh, funny regarding him and his personality. Uh, but, you, you know, you know how it goes. I mean, you know, every conversation I've had back in the day with Henrik Lundqvist was so memorable, him and his stall, always fit. You know, Larry, I mean, he was just such a class guy, still is obviously, but taking the questions when, you know, he played his heart out and nobody could score like more than two goals, you know, you know, like, and he'd lose two to one and, you know, you know, he'd stop 38 shots and they would lose, you know, one, nothing. All those are memorable to me, all those kind of, but hockey players are the best, Larry. They're well, you the know, best. You know, you know what I was was blessed with covering starting with Chico Resch. Yeah. And Chico. then going to, to Martin Brodeur, Mike Richter, Henrik Lundqvist. You could not have, and <laughs> and certainly um the last three, Richter, Brodeur, and Lundquist. 
um, you know, such elite goaltenders, such elite professional athletes, you could not have had more media friendly people than those three. They yeah. would talk to you forever. They would. They would sit yeah. there and the, and the and morning skates, they would talk. Yeah. Practices, they would talk. After games, they understood it was their responsibility to talk. But in, in an era now where it becomes more and more closed off, players have their own platforms. Um, they don't really need, they certainly don't need local outlets as, as, you know, as much as they used to, if they ever did. You know, the line from Brodeur, Richter, Lundquist is just remarkable. I mean, I was, I was spoiled, you know, and, and I was spoiled by covering guys like Mike Bossy, like Wayne Gretzky, you know, his final three years. And, you yeah. know, there, there are some special guys and it, yeah. and it becomes more and more difficult to form those relationships now. I mean, you're, you're not with the team every day. But it's not only COVID, it's that the the dynamic is so different. You know, um, when I started, teams flew commercial. So you traveled with them. You know, you 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 were a traveling party. Now, of course, teams charter out right after games 95% of the time. So they're doing their workouts. They're on their charter. They're you know, there's there's very little um interaction between reporters and players now, except for the five or ten minutes after yeah. a game or after a practice. Um, so you don't have a lot of time to get to know people. Yeah. So, you know, that that's that's been lost. You know, it, it's you know, it's 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 a regret of mine. I'm sure it's not a regret of the players, but it, but there is something lost in the translation. Yeah. You know, since I've been covering the sport nationally for ESPN, when the ESPN getting the sport back, you know, I've had a little more access for on a national basis. But yeah. the, I'll give you two ends of the earth kind of situations. A few weeks ago, I think it was last month. I was covering a wild Kings game, Minnesota Wild, but I the Kings practice in El Segundo and the Wild were pra- morning skating at uh, Crypto, right? So right. I couldn't be at two places at once. So I was with the Kings, but the Wild PR people were so nice enough to put three players that I wanted to talk to. Oh, I can talk to them on the phone, right? You know, just to like you know, get some information. And it was just so wonderful to talk to these kids, like the young guys, you know, I, you know, this kid, Mason Shaw on the wild, you know, their stories of comeback and, you know, thinking they were down and out and they had a debilitating injury and that, mm-hmm. and oh, they're living the dream and they're playing to stay on the big club and, and hearing that, you know, in his voice, these are the kind of interviews I love, like these players, you know, and then you have the other extreme where, you know, this Friday I'm covering the duck sharks, as I mentioned um, for ESPN plus and the good news is I'll get to talk to Eric Carlson. Uh, the bad news is it's like, okay, as soon as he comes out on the ice, you got to be at the bench. You got two questions and you just got to go. You know, it's just like two questions, boom, right. out, he's done. See right. ya. You know, right. I can't, you know, it can't be like, a, you know, three, you know, two of like right. basic stuff. So it's, it is what it is. And you just try to work around it and get in, you know, whatever. But you're right. It's changed, Larry, for sure. Larry takes us inside the locker room. You take us on the ice. Now, you are the on-ice reporter. Take us through the different angles you cover because you've done in between the benches. You're on the ice. You're here. You're there. Take us the different sides. And it's got to be cool for you now with, you know, NHL back on ESPN. Oh, yeah, it's definitely cool. I, I kind of love I love having the chance to be between the benches and being ice level and commenting on what was going on. And you got What you have to do is you got to be during COVID and during even the year after COVID. It sucked. They had the big. um glass, you know, used to be have really access to the players. And now you have the the big plexiglass on each side of the um, bench. Um, But 
still, you have to be, um, someone told me great advice about being between the benches. You have to be the nosy neighbor. That's the, that's what you have to be. That's how you fill your role. Cause you have to like really look inside their bench and say, okay, what's going on? Who's looking at an iPad? Who's holding their arm? What trainer is doing that? You know, who's not on the bench? So you have to be a nosy neighbor. Like it's none of your business, but you have to be a pain in the butt and look. But what I love about being an on-ice reporter is that you know, I get to interview the players after each period and react. I get to interview the coaches on the bench and not make it sound generic. Because as a sports fan, people, most people hate those stupid interviews, right? It's like in and out and give the time to the coach. Don't do long questions. Questions should be like eight seconds long tops. You know, get right to it. And I like that adrenaline rush about it. Like I have to be in, out, go, do this, that, boom, boom. Um, last month, I think, it, yeah, I was doing that Kings Wild game. Kevin Fiala won the game at, with one second to go in overtime. He came right off the ice, right to me, you know, to, for the interview. And I was like, I was more excited than him. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> did you ever, did you ever have buzzer beater like that ever type of thing? He goes, no, I've never had that. But it was just so cool. So I still get a rush um, no matter what I do. But I think I really like the on ice reporter thing because you get more access to really connect with these players and for them, you know, to see you at your job and and how you're handling it. They don't, you know, they don't care if you're in between the benches. You're, you're trying not to get hit by a puck, which, you know, I'm a goalie. So I've come close a few times. It did hit me a couple of times, but it didn't hurt. I'm curious, like you, <laughs> must, you must hear things that you just can't repeat on the air. Like you must hear either words exchanged, something exchanged between benches. Does that happen where you're like, all right, this is off the record, but that was quite entertaining. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that happens all the time. It happened a couple of times uh, with me, but you know, I, I'm always been athlete first kind of thing. Like there's a, like a code, like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, uh, whoever it was, you know, I don't know, Brendan Lemieux talking to some, you know, saying this to whoever, you know, Matthew Kachuk, whatever. There's a little conversation going on down here. I can't make out what they're saying, but you can leave it up to your imagination, you know, type of thing, you know, that whole thing. But that's kind of fun. That's part of the whole rush of being ice level, uh, man, but they are, I'll tell you when you're ice level, this game is so fast. These guys are so quick. They react. I, they skate so great. I mean, you really get your, you know, it's one thing being up on the stands or up, as Larry knows, a pre, the press box or all this kind of stuff. But when you're ice level, it is it is uh, exciting. I, I, that's the part I love about being between the benches. The difference between watching a game up top and watching a game at ice level or just, you know, a couple of rows up. Yeah, it's, it's, it is so dramatic. It is it is amazing how fast the game is. Yeah, it's just amazing. And and, you know, upstairs, you, you're picking everything apart um, because again, but but that's their job. Their job is to, you know, is, you know, they're they're the they're the best hockey players in the world. They're getting paid an immense amount of money because they're the best hockey players in the world. But, you know, their skill is at such a high level at this point that it it is. Um, it is awe-inspiring sometimes, you know. Um, again, upstairs, you look at it, oh, okay, fine. But when you're down there and you see how quickly they have to make decisions and how yeah. fast, you know, the, the gaps close and, and they just have no time. And, you know, the, the great players are somehow able to slow it down. You know, they are able to slow the game down so that they're not rushing when everyone else is. It, it's almost impossible to uh, to convey the degree of difficulty of playing the sport. And, you know, kind of like it is. And I, and I get it. Like, you know, when you're watching at home a baseball game, you think you can hit a 97 mile an hour fastball. Why not? It's right down the plate. But I remember when I was at spring training a number of years ago, I was in Tampa with the Yankees. 
and I stayed behind for a B game because um, Randy Johnson was pitching a couple of innings in a B game, and we could stand and we were basically um, near the dugout watching that game. And you and when Randy Johnson was throwing, it, it was like how could somebody stand in there? against the Randy Johnson fastball. So, you know, the appreciation of, of these guys, you know, you, you take it for granted, but but their skills are, are just remarkable. Yeah, and think about if you're a goaltender, you know, yeah. again, being ice level and seeing what these goalies, how quickly they have to react, uh, especially through traffic. I mean, I, I, it's just the game moves so fast and how they have to follow the puck. Can't even find the puck, it moves so fast. So my, my, my last one for you is why yeah. did you become a goalie then? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's, a, it's a simple story, Larry. Um, I was a kid with low self-esteem. Back in the day, I wore, you know, really thick glasses. These are just the glasses that you wear when you're older. Um, and so then I got contact lenses, but I had I was really a shy girl. Like I, I didn't have a lot of friends. Like I told you, I watched a lot of sports with my dad, fell in love with hockey, and I picked goaltending. I was playing street hockey with the boys, and this is like when I got contacts and everything. And and I actually was really good. Like, you know, I, I used to play tennis and then I don't know, I just had some great eye hand coordination. And I was like, hey, I'm now the center of attention. And I know that sounds crazy. But when you're a shy girl and you have no friends, basically, and you're afraid to talk to anybody and you're playing hockey, street hockey with the boys and you're good at goalie. And suddenly I was well liked. I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And so I begged my mother. We found out there was a league. Uh, ice. I didn't know how to ice skate. And my mother found a league that would accept girls on Long Island. It was Farmingdale. Long Island it was called Racket and Rink. Right, that's where, practice there. That's where the Islanders were practicing. That's right. And that's where I met like Bobby Nystrom and Chico yeah. Resch. I played yeah. in this league where I've had, a, I played with boys and I was like one of like three girls, not on my team, but they were on different teams. But I had to play with boys that were like significantly younger. I mean, I was 14 years old, 15. I had to play with 11, 12 year old boys. And but then again, I, I learned to skate with 40 pounds of goalie equipment on me. Um, it's so funny because when the times when I would go public skating or skating without equipment, it took me a while to adjust. Yeah. Uh, so I just the goalie thing, because I, I went from wallflower to center of attention. And actually, I didn't mind risking being the one that not makes the big save. I was just wanting to have the opportunity to be the heroine, right, to make that big stop and and get all that spotlight and it's not a cocky thing it's not yeah. being conceited yeah. it was just a thing where i was good at it and then um it brought me out of my shell and, and that's, that's why it really that's did and it really uh realized that i could do anything if i put my mind to it linda Cohn joining us last one from me here linda one move to propel the Rangers over the top here. You uh, seem like I won't even let you finish your sentence. I've wanted Patrick Kane for yeah. three years. I'm telling you, when I've done Chicago Blackhawks games, I've done like multiple Blackhawks games the last couple of years. He calls me like Miss Ranger. And I go, so when's it going to happen? And I saw him early, like last month, I did a game and he's like, I go, aren't you happy? I didn't ask you about the Rangers. And he laughed. Now, the, my here's a heartbreak. Here, Ranger fans. Here's where I'm talking you now, and I'll be heartbroken if the Islanders get it. I don't care if the Rangers don't think they can use Patrick Kane. Don't let the Lou Lamorello and the Islanders get him because that would be uh, soul crushing, heartbreaking. 
That's who I would go for. Um, just more depth, more offense. Again, you, I, I've shared my feelings about some of the players on the team that I don't think they try, but they don't give enough. They, the results are not there. I, they just need more offensive depth. I love the backliners. Love the defensemen. Love that we're getting goals and points from these great defensemen. The K. Andre Millers has scored his first the other night, last night. And then, of course, Schneider and all these guys. You know, of course, Adam Fox, greatness. He could have been the captain, by the way. Uh, you know, but uh, and of course, Troops and and all the. I don't have. I don't worry about the defense at all. And of course, Ryan Lindgren. Talk about heart and soul. Guy gives you all every single game. So Patrick Kane, Jake. All right. Well, you've put it in his ear. You've told him. You said, come to the Rangers. So if he comes, you get all the credit, Linda. Okay, good. Uh, follow, follow Linda on Twitter and Instagram at Linda Cohn. Catch her on ESPN. Catch her on ESPN Plus in the crease. Sports Center, of course. Linda, appreciate you coming on up in the blue seats. Good to catch up with you. Happy holidays. Oh, anytime. Glad, glad to be here. Larry, good seeing you. And Same Jake, here. thanks as always. If there's a team that hates losing more in this league right now, then I don't know who it is. So we love to win and we certainly hate to lose. So we're going to do everything we can to keep winning hockey. All righty. That'll say adios to episode 104 of Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hartz and the intern Josh Crawford for helping me in producing the show. Make sure you subscribe to the New York Post Sports YouTube page where you can watch full episodes of Up in the Blue Seats as well as clips. And you can catch up on all old episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. Just search Up in the Blue Seats. Follow me on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio. Follow Larry at NYP underscore Brooks. For Larry Brooks, Linda Cohn, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back next week for another episode of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay safe. Of course, I could say it for the first time. Why not? You know, we're approaching mid-December. Happy holidays.